have your Bibles with you today, you can make your way to Luke chapter 2, or you can scroll to Luke chapter 2, if we're honest. If you're like me, most times I scroll versus actually turning, but um, again, we want to thank you. I, I, I hope I don't say it every time, and, and it seems like it's um, something that I feel like I have to do, but I always, I want to I thank you. We just, we generally are, are humbled and excited that you choose to worship with us each week, that, that, that we realize that, that there are other things happening in your lives, and especially this time of the year, it's often chaotic and crazy, and there's probably family coming in or already here, and so it's just a crazy time, and so we always want to be grateful um, for you for choosing to worship with us and excited at the same time, and so... Um, we're, we're, we're finishing kind of our, our trek through the, the birth narrative that Luke gave us last week. We talked about um, just basically asking ourselves the question is, what, what comes to mind when we think of Jesus' birth? And, and talked about, if you remember, I quoted Alistair Begg, the pastor, that said that the, the thing that's remarkable is that there was nothing really remarkable about it. And, and the thing that was striking is that there's nothing particularly striking about it. And, and how it's odd that the, the most important birth in human history, Luke gives us seven verses. And, and just how it was kind of an odd idea that, that when we look at the birth of Jesus, Luke just kind of throws it in there and then just keeps moving. But um, today we, w- we want to look at the second half of the birth narrative that Luke gives us. And, and what we're looking at is the announcement. And that's why you, you see that, that I've told this, the good news of great joy, because that was the announcement. That, that here's what's happened. There's good news of great joy. But in doing so, I want us to consider the question, who is Jesus? Because how we answer that question determines everything. This, who is Jesus? If someone walked up to you and said, who is Jesus? I hear the, the, all this talk about him this time of the year, about his birth. Who is he? Because how we answer that determines the reality of everything else that we say we live for. And so, would you even have an answer? Some of you, if we're honest, might not have an answer for that. You might not have an answer. Who is Jesus? And you just... you a blank because you you maybe haven't practiced or or you've never really thought of it in that sense of just defining the person of Jesus and so we want to look at that today look at this announcement that, that Luke has given us here in, in the second chapter so that we can start developing an answer like who is Jesus because if we look at the birth announcement we find who Jesus is we're, we're given the answer to that question and and actually if you if you you might have known there was an old uh, Charlie Bound uh, comic and in one, one frame that he's holding a sign that says, Jesus is the answer. And then later on, Linus is holding up says, what's the question? Right? Well, today we're going we're gonna to talk about that. What is, what's, what's the question? Because we know the, 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 what's the answer to that question. Why is he the answer to that question? Who is Jesus? And we're going to do that by looking at the birth story, the second half of that. So if you will... Follow along with me. We're going to read verses 8. We're going to stop in 14. I know that's not the complete ending of it, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. We're just going to read verses 8 through 14 of Luke chapter 2. In verse 8, he says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you 
is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you will pray with me as we find our way through this today. Father God, again, we, we come before you in, in, in a lot of ways. We've heard this story that we just read from your, your word, and, and we've heard it so many times that it's easy to just glaze over and, and look at it the same way. God, I just pray that today your spirit would open our hearts to hear your truth new. God, that our lives in this season as we celebrate the birth of your son would be changed because of that news. And we just pray that, that your spirit moves in us as only you can. And so in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, it, it, quite a remarkable birth announcement, isn't it? Like you, the, I, I, think, I can't help but think when I think announcing a birth, I, I, I'm sorry if I always do this, but my mind goes to Facebook and all the, the gender reveal type thing, right? It's like everyone's trying to one-up the next person on, let's have a certain cake, is it blue or pink, or little poppers, or flat, anything. You know what I'm talking about. You've probably seen it. And I think about it, and I'm like, you can't top this, right? Here's a birth announcement, two shepherds by an angel. It's like, when God does it, He does it, right? It's like, here it is, you can't top that. But what we need to see in that is we, don't, we need to see something new. Because we've, if you've been like me, and you've heard this story your entire life, it's, oh, an angel shows up, good news, great joy. Peace is going to be here. Why? Because Jesus was born. And we kind of move on, right? We, we get so frustrated with the holiday of Christmas being trivialized, but in a lot of times, we're the ones that do that. We're the ones that don't look deeply in the story and see what's happening at His birth. We don't, we don't have confidence in the story anymore because it's just something that we've always known. And so I wanted to take just a little bit of time today to talk about if we're going to answer the question, who is Jesus? We have to have confidence in the narrative that Luke has given us. If we can't have confidence in this, then we can't have confidence to answer the question, who is Jesus? Because this is where we find who he is. And so I wanted to remind you, remember in Luke 1, Luke's telling that he's writing these eyewitnesses accounts so that we might be complete in the knowledge that he's wanting us to have, who he is. And then we set up last week at the first part, he says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. He's placing the birth narrative into history. Like we can go back, we can see who it is. If you wanted to go back, you can, for the people that he was writing to, you can look at the census and see that Joseph was checked in. You can see those things. Then he does it again in verse 8. So the first thing I want us to do when we're looking at confidence and, and can we understand the reality or the truthfulness of Luke's story, we need to consider the audience first. And look at verse 8 again. In the same region, so here it is again. He's tying it back to Bethlehem. He's tying it back, saying this is happening all in the same area. He's placing it at a certain place. He says in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Okay, and, and right there, that's who I want you to consider. Because if we're talking about the biggest birth announcement in human history, are shepherds the people that you write into that story? Right? It really isn't, is it? Not especially if we consider, if we go back to the first century, and we, and we talk about who's Luke's audience, the shepherds aren't the people that they trusted. Shepherds were, were dirty. They're always out in the fields. They often missed 
worship because they were out there all the time. Here it is. They're, in, they're out in the fields in the middle of the night. And so we can look at that and understand that we're, if, if Luke's just making this up, he's not writing the shepherds in as the recipients of this announcement. He would have found someone that had some social clout, right? Because they were on the bottom end of the social ladder. They're not going to be that person. And so if we want to understand the truthfulness of the story, we look at the audience. Look who's the first one to get this news. The biggest announcement in the history of humanity Jesus being born is given to shepherds that people considered unworthy. That people didn't trust. So they were dirty. They, they missed the worship all the time. They were out in the fields. They weren't trusted. They weren't known for honesty. Yet, let's give them the news first. And when we look at that aspect, we understand that we can, we can have confidence in this. Because if Luke's just writing a story, making this up, shepherds don't get the message. Someone with importance does. Right? Because it's, the, if we think about it, if you're telling a story, if you're going to tell a story, it's who tells the story that matters, right? I, I may or may not be known as someone that messes with people here at work every now and then, right? And, and what I've figured out is that, that if I'm doing something and, and just being mischievous or just annoying, depending on who you talk to, um, it, it depends on who I get to be a part of this, right? Because if it's certain people, no one believes them. They're like, oh, something's going on here. Or like if I call someone and like, hey, they need your help in the library, they're like, what's going on? Right? They immediately perk up and think, wait a second, he wouldn't be doing that, so there's something up. That's the same thing that the first century people would have done with the shepherds. When we look at the end of those verses, after verse 15, 16, and, and those, when the shepherds go and tell everyone, their first response would have been, wait a second, can I trust what you're saying? Are you, are you really expecting me to believe this? And so when we look at that aspect of Luke's story, we can understand that we can confidently see it. It's a, it's a valid claim. The, the birth narrative, it's a historical thing that we can go back and prove. And Luke tells us that because he gives us shepherds. He's going to make up a story. He's not using them as the people. So when we start developing this answer of who is Jesus, we understand that we can confidently go to this story because... Luke wouldn't have made something up in this way. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have happened. And what it also does is then, if you want to take that into our life, is it then again reminds us that, that God time and time again uses people that the world says are unworthy to deliver messages or to move on His behalf. And so if we take that then into an application to our own lives, we don't have to fix ourselves. We don't have to make ourselves more presentable for God for him to use us because the entire scripture is made up of stories of people that were unworthy that were liars cheaters murderers that God used for his glory and so why now in this time and day do we think we have to fix ourselves before God can use us why have we added that in as a prerequisite for God's work is that we have to somehow get our lives in order because if that's true then I'm never going to be used by God because it seems like my life is never in order. There's always one more thing that happens, one other thing that I forget to do, and it's just constantly, so I'll never be in that. When we look at this first, we see the shepherds here. He's using, God's using people that were unexpected, that socially were outcasts. And that gives me hope because then I don't have to be this special person. I just have to be humble and submit myself before Him to be used by Him. And next, as we look at this, we need to consider the messengers. And this is 
this is honestly this is a part that I think we're scared to talk about, and it's it's surprising, and I'll explain why in a second. If you look at verse nine, look at verse nine. He says, "This now, shepherds are there, and the flocks find out. And what happens? An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear." Right? And it's an appropriate response, isn't it? Anytime an angel shows up, there's fear in people. But it's, it's, it's partly because of the angel and partly, I think, because the glory of the Lord is around them. There's, when we understand that, it's not the angelic glory, it's the glory of the Lord. Did you see how Luke wrote that? The angel himself isn't glory, it's the glory of the Lord that travels with him. And so when we look at that, it's surprising to me that today we kind of just overlook angels. Because people in society, they believe all sorts of random stuff, don't they? So why are we afraid? To, why, are we, why do we shy away from an angelic, a, a heavenly messenger, when if you look at anything that our society believes, it's all crazy spiritual stuff, isn't it? So why do we somehow think all of a sudden they can't handle an angel delivering a message? Well, that's what we do, right? We kind of like, well, it's an angel. I don't really understand them, but it's there. So yeah, an angel, and let's just go on to what he says. We need to have confidence in that. Angels are, are an important part. If you look at Scripture, angels deliver messages of great importance. They're, they're messengers of God. They're created beings. Real fast, uh, this is kind of a pet peeve, sorry. But angels are not people that have died that were saints. Okay? When someone dies, God doesn't get another angel. I'm sorry. He doesn't. Those are created beings. They're not us. They're different than us. But it's, it, we don't become an angel. We, we're better than them. Do you see that? We bear the image of God, not the angels. So why when we die, would we go to something less than that? And we have to understand that, that they're messengers of God. They're powerful, but they're not all powerful. Remember in the garden when the, the people are coming, Jesus says, I could call 12 legions of angels if we wanted to mil militarily take this out. Like they're powerful, but they're not all powerful. There's something about them that God uses and, and doesn't it make sense that the heavenly host would be involved in an announcement of this stature? Right? Wouldn't it have been weird if someone just showed up and said, hey, he was born. No, we need, there's a, this is an announcement that's worthy of the greatest messengers we have. And in fact, in Jesus' life, the two most important events in his life are, are given to us by angels. The birth here and the resurrection, right? The women show up to the tomb and there's an angel there and he says, why do you look for the living among the dead? Right? Jesus' life is capped by major announcements by angels. And we shouldn't shy away from that. That gives us confidence in it. Because of what's happening, who God is using. We can have faith in the truthfulness of Luke's account when we consider those who are used to give the message and receive it. You wouldn't just write that in. And so we need to look at this. What's happening here? Angels are very important. They're the ones that respond to Mary when she says, how is this? And he says, what? The Holy Spirit will come around you. The angel that, that tells Joseph, hey, this is legitimately from God. So we need to not shy away. We should understand that that actually gives it validity because it places it in the storyline of history of God using angels to deliver messages that are of great importance. And there's no more message that's more important than that, and the, the Savior's born, right? 
And so we can trust that account. And so then we can start looking at, okay, now those first few verses kind of give us some more trustworthiness of, of what's happening. So now we can then understand how can we answer who is Jesus? Because that's the question everyone wants to know, right? Jesus is the question that everything hinges on. If we look at, at worship, Christ and who He is determines everything. So, who is Jesus? Look at, look at, we'll start in verse 10. And the angel said to them again, here's his message, this is the announcement, fear not, for behold, I bring you, behold, I give you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So there's the announcement, this is good news, don't be fear, this is a good thing. And then what? For unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. And so when we look at that, we quickly see who Jesus is. The announcement is not just the birth, but it tells us who was born. And that's what we need to say. When people ask us, who is Jesus, we need to understand the announcement of who he is. We have it written for us right here. There's some things we need to understand, though. Look at, we'll look at verse 10. What does he say? He says, for unto you, or verse 11, excuse me, for unto you is born. That's, that's to you. Okay, so they're talking to the shepherds first, for unto you is born, but then he goes further from that. It goes out to all people, right? Good news of great joy that will be for all people. So that includes everyone, right? all people, everyone. And so when we look at who Christ is, He's someone, we don't know yet if we're just reading this sequentially, we don't know yet there's someone for all people. Something's going to happen and His life's going to influence everyone. His life's going to influence everyone. And then He says, again, this day in Bethlehem, right? You know exactly where it's happening, when it's happening. He's telling them there's not this random thing that's going to happen. It has happened for you, for all people on this day in Bethlehem. Redemptive history is situated around this event. And then what? In the city of David, that's Bethlehem. A Savior. There's Christ's job description. If you want to look at it that way. A Savior. Jesus' job description, if you will. That's what, he, that's what He is. He's a Savior. So when the angels say, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. So this child that was born is a Savior. For who? For all people. And this is where non-Christians start to have a problem. Right? This is where... Well, wait a second. If you're saying this, that, that you have a savior born to you why do i need a savior right and that question you get are you saying that you're better than me then that the pushback you, are you just you're just saying you're better than me no we're saying that that everyone is that way because if he's a savior for all people that implies that all people need saving that there's somehow not this select few that don't need that and so we all need a savior and that's why christians ultimately should be the humble people because you realize it's not up to us Realize that we were given a Savior. Why? Because we're prone to, to badness instead of goodness. Right? I know I am. That's why we have a time of confession every week. I need to acknowledge that. I need to do that continually because I understand that I'm so often drawn away from God. That's why I needed a Savior. Because I was in sin. Yet, we have a Savior born for us. 
And then he goes further. A Savior, what? Who is Christ? That's his title. Okay, so we have the job description. He's a Savior. This is what Jesus does. He saves people from themselves. And he's the Christ. Which means he's the, the promised one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that so long ago, when Abram was given the covenant before God, that you'll be a, a father of all nations, and from you will come. Jesus is finally here. If you want to go further back, Genesis 3. What does God tell the serpent? He says, the seed of a woman will crush your head. He's just been born. He's the Christ, the Messiah. But what does He do? He saves people. That's where you get John 3, 17, right? That God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but so that they might be saved through Him. Why can they be saved through Him? Because He's the promised Messiah. He is the Christ. And we need to remind ourselves of that. Our Savior who is Christ, He's the promised one. When we look at Scripture, God says there will be one. He's been born. On this day in Bethlehem, the city of David, a Savior who is Christ, what? The Lord. And that's where the next little part hinges on. Because not only is He our Savior, not only is He the chosen Messiah, He's God Himself. When we look at Lord, what that is, is that's the Greek translation of Yahweh in the Old Testament. This is God with us. It's the, the, the incarnation. God is fully human yet fully God in Christ. And we can't forget that. That Jesus is Lord. Why? Because He is God as well as man. So who is Jesus? He's our Savior, the promised Messiah, and it's God Himself incarnate. He's the only begotten Son, right? John 3.16, for God gave His only Son, only begotten Son, that should believe in Him, should not perish, but have eternal life. He's the begotten Son of God. He's the only Son of God. And you see in John 1, that He was there from the beginning. If He's not created, He's incarnated within that. So He is our Lord because He retains His divinity while gaining humanity, which makes Him the perfect substitute for us. And there's all sorts of doubt and talk, and there's all sorts of creeds. If you go back to the, the creeds, the Nicaea Creed is written in 325 and kind of adjusted in, in Constantinople in 318, and then Chalcedon. There's all these old creeds of the church, and they almost always center around clarifying who Jesus is. He's fully God and fully man. And if we leave those out, then we, understand, we, we twist the gospel. We need to understand that, that He is Lord. We see that in Thomas. In John 20, 28, he says, what does he say? He says, my Lord and my God. Right? Thomas always gets the bad rap because he was the one that doubted. Right? Everyone's like, we love to pick on Thomas because he was the doubter. But Thomas was also the first disciple that said, my Lord, my God. He's the first one that realized who he actually was. He's not just a Savior. He's God himself given to us. There's a great um, old Puritan, Thomas Watson, and he has a quote talking about what Christ did for us. He says that Christ was born of a virgin that we might be born of God. He took on flesh that we might, that he might give us his spirit he lay in a manger that we might lie in paradise he came down from heaven that he might bring us to heaven when we look at that i, I love looking at the puritans because they write better than i can and it's just it's just full of metaphors and and all this but if we look at who christ is we see that he is our savior the promised one christ 
God himself, our Lord, we realize that he's the only one that's capable of doing what he did, was ultimately dying for us. And at this time, if we look at Christ and we look at what's happening, right now, you, 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 you might be thinking, Chris, I don't know if you're like me, often I'm late on buying presents. I'm a little better this year, but typically I'm like the, the person at the end of the day, and you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot to do that. Right? And then you think of what? Do you, I don't know. I find myself in the store. Typically it's with Lindsay. I didn't know she was going to be in here today. I thought she wasn't, so I was going to talk about her. Sorry. But typically I'm thinking, what is the perfect gift for her? Right? And I draw a blank. You just look at there. And, and then you, you might have something come to mind. You're like, that's it. And everything's seemingly focused on that. Right? And this is the perfect time of year to understand that because we want to try to find the best gift that we can for the people that we love. And then if you look at that, we see that that's exactly what God did. He knew exactly what we would need. And He gave us the best gift. He gave us His only Son. He became flesh and dwelt among us, is what John says in chapter 1. The best gift has been given to us. And so who is Jesus? He is our Savior because I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. Because if we're honest, and if people are honest, we realize that we screw it up. There's a humbleness that needs to happen. But thankfully, we don't have to do anything because we have the promise to Christ. Because He was born for us. And it was God Himself. So He's capable of doing what we were incapable of doing. And that is what I hope we focus on this season. That is why it's good news of great joy. Why? Because salvation is here. The, the promised one has been born and His one role is to save us from ourselves. He became sin for us. He that knew no sin became sin so that we might what? Have the righteousness of God. The best gift has been given. And so when we look at this and we get so mad at, at people not saying Merry Christmas and all this, it just, let's focus on the Christ child. Let's focus on Him because then what happens is worship. If we, when we encounter the Christ child, when we encounter Jesus Christ, the Savior Christ, the Lord, it's a catalyst for worship. Look what happens, right? Isn't that what happens? They announce who comes. Look at verse 14. The whole host. Now it's not just one. It's a whole host of angels saying what? Glory to God in the highest. It's a catalyst for worship. Just announcing His birth that He was even born created worship. And then what happened later? If you look down, verse 17, it says, And when they saw it, these are the shepherds, when they saw it, they made known saying what had been told to them concerning this child. So they went and told everyone. So when we encounter Christ, we see that it actually happened. We know that this gift has been given to us. We tell everyone. We go tell everyone. Have you ever wondered what happened to the sheep? The shepherds just left them, right? They went and told everyone. There's a better thing right now. We could go gather them up later. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Remember, they couldn't trust them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondered them in her heart. So she took all this in. And then what happened? And the shepherds returned. They went and told everyone. And they returned. They come back to God. This child lying there in a manger to do what? Glorifying and praising God for all the emergency. Is that our response to Jesus this Christmas? 
is our response to who is Jesus. He's our Savior, Christ the Lord, and that leads us to worship. Because that's the only appropriate response to who He is. If He is our Savior, which we can be confident, by the way Luke tells us this story, if He is our Savior, then our response is worship. Humble worship before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Because in Him is joy and hope and peace and love.